This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 250, How Does Inflation Affect Bank on Yourself? Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is not your average financial podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. Now, I've got to say, all across the economic dashboard, inflation indicators are blinking red and have been for some time now. And most recently, the personal consumption expenditures or the PCE index, which is typically calculated by the Bureau of Economic Analysis, said that inflation kicked up to 6.6% from March 2021 to March 2022. That's the biggest year-over-year surge since September of 1983. Now, there's a lot of ground we're going to cover in this episode, as well as the next episode, and I'm giving you a sneak peek into Jay Helm's Mastermind Group, and I was uh, privileged and honored enough to speak two days, uh, speaking about inflation and how it impacts your economy, and specifically, how it might impact the bank on yourself strategy. So you get to hear this part one today and part two next week. This week, we're going to dive into how inflation works and what it's doing to impact your dollars and what it's not doing to help you reach your financial goals. And then next week, we're going to get into sort of a question I get sometimes, which is, can inflation eventually destroy bank on yourself? Could it actually be the end of bank on yourself? If we have high interest rates, does that mean, does that spell the end of the bank on yourself concept as we know it? So stay tuned for next week. And here we go with the W2 Capitalist Summit Part 1. For those of you that don't know, Mark Willis is my certified financial planner, and he he is no uh, stranger to the W2 Capitalist community. And when he posed the topic for today about not your average inflation, I am super, super excited to hear what he's got to say, because it is something that's all on our mind. A lot of us, I should say me personally, I am having a little bit of FOMO because I'm sitting on a little bit of cash and I'm like, man, am I not doing what I need to be doing with that? If you're looking to achieve, number one, create multiple streams of income, achieve financial freedom, and then talk about build, building legacy wealth. And Mark has certainly helped me on a personal level to help build some legacy wealth. All right, Mark, I'm going to kick it over to you, sir. All right. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, literally quite a bit. So if it's all right, I'm going to share screen and we'll jump into our topic together today. We're going to be talking about something that is high and on the minds of many a real estate investor and just many people out there right now are really dealing with and frustrated with inflation. So we're going to be covering that with our time together today. And I'm going to be specifically getting into how to increase your own money supply. I want to hear you make the news. I don't want to hear us talking about the news. Let's make some news by you increasing your own money supply. About 100 years ago, we had a really weird phenomenon take place. It was uh, November 1923, and hyperinflation of Weimar Republic Germany had reached its peak due to Germany's obligation to pay a bunch of reparations after World War I. Hyperinflation just reached a fever pitch in 1923, where $1, one American dollar was worth 4.2 trillion German marks. That's $1 for every 4 trillion 
German marks. So it literally took a wheelbarrow's worth of paper to buy a loaf of bread. Can you imagine walking down the street with that, Jay? The thieves might steal the helpful wheelbarrow and leave your worthless money on the ground, right? Yeah. No, um, I can't fathom that at all. <laughs> and, and, and there's pictures of kids playing with the money, like it's Legos. They got people using money to burn in the fireplace to keep everybody warm. And this is interesting. Uh, I was looking at the, the cumulative inflation by decade since 1913. Why 1913, you might ask? Well, that was the year the Federal Reserve was created. There was 92% inflation from 1913 to 19. The only period of time there was any kind of deflation was during the depression of 1930 to 39. And if you can imagine this, we've had 2,555% inflation since 1913. In other words, something that cost $100 in 1913 would cost 2,500 bucks today. This is an, a vast increase in the money supply. So this is going to blow your mind. The M2 money supply, now that's the amount of money just sort of sloshing around out there in our wallets and our bank accounts. It's increased 10 times since 1990, from 2 trillion to 22 trillion today. Now, think about that for a minute. Has our population as a country, as, a, as the United States of America, have we grown by 10 times the people since 1990? Not even close. According to the US Census data, we went from 250 million in 1990 to 330 million Americans today, that's like 25% growth. That's not even two times the increase. And yet we have 10 times the money. For all of us listening, do you feel 10 times wealthier than your parents felt in 1990? It's a good question. It, just because somebody added a zero to your bank account, you might feel great. But if, if somebody, banks, government, whatever, if they added a zero to everybody's bank accounts, then all of a sudden the price of bread goes up and Lamborghinis go up in price, right? If just Jay Helms got that extra zero, he'd be getting the Lamborghini. But if all of us got the zero at the end of our bank balance, has happened over the last 30 years, then nobody gets a Lamborghini and, and the price of bread goes up. This is going to continue, but I'd say that's a big deal. And what does it mean? What does all this mean? It means the government is destroying the purchasing power of our money. That's what inflation is. It's a stealth tax. It's a tax that everybody pays. The rich pay it, the middle class pay it. And yes, even the poor people pay this stealth tax. Nobody's excluded from this. In fact, it's the most harmful to the middle class and to the poor because they're the ones who have the least affordability to be able to manage this increase in prices. So they don't even have enough money left over to buy the bare essentials for their families. And yet, because the government's insane economic policies, they're going to be forced to survive on even less. Yeah, now, a guy named Milton Friedman, he was an economist, he said, inflation is taxation without legislation. Inflation is taxation without legislation. And it's also, you know, without any minimum rate, meaning uh, they can raise it to whatever level they want and be able to take away more and more of the purchasing power as a result. How can we protect ourselves? This is obvious, right? We're hearing it enough in the news now. Everybody knows it's not transitory like it was uh, referred to last year. Inflation's here, at least for the temporary period, it's here to stay. Some people say it's going to be a, another year. Some people say 10 years plus. And here are a few of the ideas that I hear when I have one-on-one -on -one Zoom meetings with folks and phone calls with folks all across the country. They say things like, well, let's buy stocks and let's buy some real estate because, hey, they always do well and always beat inflation 
right? Maybe we'll find out. We can switch from steaks to bug protein and lettuce. <laughs> I'm not making this up, Jay. This was literally one of the articles uh, I was reading about how to fight inflation, how to protect yourself from inflation. Switch to lettuce. That was I mean, answer. at the price of, of hamburger meat and steaks right now, you might be onto something if I could stomach it. I don't know, though. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about stocks first. Some might say that the best hedge against inflation is the stock market. But is it true? Let's find out. This is a picture, again, from 1913 until about today, including the stock market uh, and specifically the S&P 500 and going clear back to 1913. So what is the amount that you can get in the return on the stock market in any given year? Does it do enough to keep up with inflation? So look at the growth of the market. And what do you notice? Look at 1929. There's the Great Depression. Look how great it looks. Not so great. A little, maybe a speed bump. Certainly not a Great Depression. And look at the, uh, the giant surge from 1982 to 2001. There's an incredible lurch upward. Some people call this the Roaring 20. This is the period of time where the baby boomers were coming of age. This was the computer revolution. It was an incredible period to be in the stock market. And many people became financial advisors at this age. And now they're still serving clients today. And they were a part of this Roaring 20 where everybody could just fall off a log and make 12% on their mutual funds. Okay. That's literally where Dave Ramsey gets it from that period of time. That 20 year period is known as the roaring 20. And this was sort of like a gift from the gods of wall street. Now fast forward and the baby boomers have gotten a bit older. And from 2001 to 2020, we had the boring 20, the boring 20. And this is literally what happened during the first 12 years of that 20 year period. There was literally no growth from 2001 to 2013. That's a dozen years lost. Can you deal with a dozen years just gone off your portfolio? Especially when you look at the volatility in the midst of all that, look at the crashes happening twice there. We lose half of our life savings two times over a 12 year period. And it takes 12 years just to break even. So that's the boring 20 because we start and stop at the same point. And we had tremendously lower yields. We went from 12% a year falling off a log in the mutual funds market to this. This is third-party research. And they're saying that the real results of the stock market over 30 years was 2.29%. That's if you were invested in stocks, bonds, kind of a blend, target date funds, index funds, that sort of thing. Your 30-year real return for real investors was 2.29%. Jay, does that strike you as just, that gobsmacks me to read that. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's a comment that floats around everywhere. The average return for the stock market is 8%, 8 yeah. to 10%. Mm -hmm. so, so where does that comment come from? Are they looking at a different time? I imagine they're looking at the averaging the 12 months, the three-year timeline. Is that where they see that or... How does that quote right. become so popular that just anybody, just almost anybody can rattle it off? Oh, if it's oh not yeah. True? It's like my podcast is titled, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. There's no such thing as averages. <laughs> you know, the, the, the market averaged 8%, but real investors got 2.29%. Now, how is that possible? The, the answer is volatility. Let's go back to this chart right here. Volatility is not the same thing as a straight line upward and to the right. 
And think about it this way. In the Midwest, we have a phrase called as the crow flies. You probably have it in Florida too, as the crow flies. It takes two miles to fly directly from your house to the grocery store. But in the real world, you got to go up and down and left and right and stop and start and turn left and make a U-turn and park your car. All that wastes energy through volatility. So if we have a straight line up and to the right, then sure, we could all get 8%. But the problem is up and down, right? The volatility, it's like a spring that's been coiled up really tight. If you were to stretch that spring out, it would go a lot farther. And most people don't realize that volatility is the zapping power. It's the wealth destroyer in most people's portfolios. And in true to form, the inflation over that same 30-year period was 3.6%. Now, this is not just little old me saying this, Jay. This is third-party Dalbar. They are a you know well-respected Massachusetts research firm, and they do analysis every year to check out the real returns of the market. Now, what about the next 20 years? I'm going to call it, we went from the roaring 20 to the boring 20 of the last 20 years. Now, maybe the next 20 years is the pouring 20. I don't know. You have to tell me. And no one's got a future crystal ball. But this is when 10,000 baby boomers increasing to almost 20,000 baby boomers will retire every single day for the next 20 years. And when that many people are leaving the stock market, what do you think is going to happen to prices? Okay, so maybe real estate is our answer then. Uh, Maybe people think buying a house, don't rent, just buy a house. It'll always beat inflation, right? There's some good news here. Level mortgage payments will keep you from being affected by inflation. If you're renting an apartment, prices are going to go up there. But level mortgage payments stay level, and that's true. But let's take a deeper look. In in truth, in high inflation times, real estate runs into some of the same problems as the stock market, but it can get accelerated. The mortgage might be level, but what about property taxes? What about heating your home or cooling it? And what about everything you need to fix up that house? The roof repair, the landscaping, everything gets more expensive when you own that house. One of the big problems with real estate in the face of high inflation is that interest rates on mortgages are going to go up. I mean, what what have we seen, Jay? You could probably tell me. I've been told that the average mortgage rate was 5.6% as of last week, and it might hit six this week. Yeah, I mean, it's gone tremendously. It looks a lot like your graph from a couple of ways. Yeah. It's it's hockey sticking for sure. And, you know, if you've got a budget of X dollars a month to spend on your mortgage and rates went from 3% to 6%, that's half the house you can buy for the same mortgage payment that you used to be able to buy. That's half as many doors that you can buy on a rental property. And so when mortgage rates go up, that is difficult for you when it comes to doing what you want to do with, with real estate. And that doesn't even count all the other factors like carrying costs and other expenses of owning real estate. Now, historically, according to Case Schiller, real estate prices have only grown about 1% above inflation over the last 30 years. About 4% is what Case Schiller says real estate has done over the last 30 years. That's only 1% above inflation, but that's not including the carrying costs, the property tax, repair and maintenance, non-paying tenants. And I don't know if many people here uh, experience this, but I can say that the government over the last two years allowed tenants not to pay their rent. There was collectively like an agreement that, hey, there's going to be a rent moratorium, uh, which made it really difficult for landlords in the last two years to cover their bases. All right. So I'm wanting to not just be average. I want to be awesome. 
when it comes to this whole inflation thing. I don't want to just get an average inflation adjusted return of 1% a year. If being average leaves us average, I want to be not so average. So what else is there besides stocks and real estate? And certainly bonds have been a terrible hedge against inflation and are crashing right now. We've actually had the worst four months of the bond market in the history of the bond market in these first four months of the year. The stock market is crashing again uh, as we are recording this, and, and it's the worst start to the year since 1939 in the S&P 500. Uh, so there's some big things happening, and I'm not going to pretend to know the future, but I can look carefully at the past and decide what I want to do with, with my money, and so can you. So let's find some ways to fight these insidious effects of inflation. I call it the weapons of math destruction. Catch that, Jay? So what are it. those Tell weapons? Tell me a minute. Of, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> So what are the weapons of math destruction that are coming at us right now? I'd say it's three things. Compound growth, which is wonderful when it's working for you. It's terrible when it's fighting against you. Leverage, uh, which again, it, leverage is a wonderful thing when you can use it, but it's being used against you right now. So beware of that. And then third, optionality. How can we flip the script on these three weapons of math destruction and use it to our advantage? You don't want to bring a knife to an inflation fight. You need to use the same weapons that they're using against you to protect yourself and even win. All right. So I believe that bank on yourself is one of the best ways you can protect yourself against the three problems of the weapons that are being used against you. And specifically bank on yourself, just as a side note, is a life insurance contract. Now, if you love real estate and I do too, I've got it in my portfolio. Real estate is built on a contract. And if you love contracts because you love real estate, then you're going to love bank on yourself, which is a dividend paying whole life insurance contract. That's what contracts are. They are contractual wealth, not paper wealth, like the stock market gives us. So we're going to talk about the power of compounding with bank on yourself life insurance. We're going to talk about the power of leverage using dividend paying whole life insurance to leverage other assets. And we're going to look at the power of optionality through the velocity of money. And we're going to do that in eight minutes. All right. So the first is um, bank on yourself designed whole life insurance is uninterrupted compound growth. Guys, it cannot go down in value. Life insurance benefits actually from an increasing financial world where inflation is up because the policy does not crash. There's no down years. In fact, I call it a stop loss on my net worth. Whatever my policy's value is today, that's its minimum guaranteed value for the rest of my life. And every year, every year, that cash value is growing on a predictable and guaranteed basis. On top of that, if inflation rears its ugly head and sticks around for a few years, my dividends on my whole life insurance policy will respond favorably. Parties at my house, if we have higher inflation sustained over some period of time. And in fact, the cash value, I want, to, I want you to imagine a, like rings in a pond or like rings on a tree. Every ripple is bigger than the last one. And that's how it works with these policies. The cash values increase is on a greater number every single year. And the previous year's growth is locked in for the rest of your life. So this is counterintuitive, but it's worked for hundreds of years, even before the Federal Reserve was born. Next is its, a, its ability to be used as leverage. So we can use liquidity in the cash value. You can access the cash in the policy and do whatever you want with it. That allows you to take advantage of opportunities. So opportunities come to those who are ready to take advantage of them. Let that sink in for a moment. If the Fed uh, is going to try to fight inflation, 
and sends the economy into a recession, as some are now suggesting, then life insurance will stand to be at the ready for those who own it and who need access to capital. See, I, I can grab some cash out of my policy today and invest in a real estate deal tomorrow. When I decide it's time for me to find the next deal or to take advantage of an opportunity, then having access to liquid money in my policy is going to be huge. And when you have one of these bank on yourself designed policies, policies have access provisions called policy loans, and it allows you to borrow against the policy. Now, uh, that kind of leads me to the, the third piece, which is optionality. When you borrow against the life insurance policy, it's not either or, it's both and. Most people put their money in places where it's either or. Either I'm going to get this rental property, or I'm going to invest in my stock market account, or I'm going to keep it in a savings account, or I'm going to pay off my credit cards. It's either or for most people. But because it's a bank on yourself designed policy, when you access the cash as a loan, you're borrowing against the policy. You're using it as collateral. And that means the policy is still there, earning growth and dividends as if you had never touched the money in the first place. So you can in, invest in your real estate deal and get the continuous guaranteed growth of the policy. So that's sort of the, the big three weapons that are being used against you, compound growth, leverage, and optionality. We can use the velocity of money to not just say either or, but rather you now can say both and. You can take the option to do both. I'm going to wrap us up with a story. This is a guy named Dan. He's a real life guy. He's going to be on our podcast again as a guest here in a few weeks. Dan Proskauer out in Boston. He was kind enough to share his actual net worth chart. Uh, and he sent us just about a year or two ago. And at the time, he showed us the first 10 years of his financial life was going through the boring 20 I mentioned here. So this is actually uh, the first 10 years of that boring 20 from 2000 to 2009. And he went through the rise and fall of the tech bubble the recovery period, and then the housing crash of 2008. And as you can tell, there was basically no growth for him over that many year period. All right. Since he started his first bank on yourself policy, this is his actual, this is from Quicken and he just reports his net worth. It shows this nice chart. Look at what's happened to his net worth since he opened up his first policy in June of 2009. He's literally increased his own money supply. He's tripled his net worth in 10 years. Now, this is locking in real gains, real wealth, contractual wealth, not just paper profits and paper losses, but real wealth locked in. So guys, let's get you ready for the fight. There's going to be an inflation fight coming. It's, it's already here. And you know if you're not already prepared for this fight, you got to buckle in. You got to lay the foundation for the next fight. You really cannot build a storm shelter when the tornado is rolling through town. The good news is today is the first day of the rest of your life. So my question is, what are you going to do with this very precious day? This very precious one singular life you have. If you think we're done with inflation, if you think we're done with market volatility, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. You got to be ready for the next one. So the very first day you start your bank on yourself policy, your financial goals are already locked in and they can only improve your situation. If interest rates continue to rise, if we continue to get inflation, you get just better and better dividends. I think many people here today are hearing the news. They're aware of what's going on in the news media and more importantly, in the world economy. And I think you're here because you want something better. And you know that the traditional ways to fight inflation are not working. I saw my savings account 
um, interest rate. <laughs> That's not going to do the trick. Uh, and the markets don't seem to care whether you win or lose. And so what if you had something that buffered against and even improved your situation when interest rates continue to rise as they appear to want to do for the foreseeable future? So guys, I'd say best thing we can do is have a conversation. It's not a good fit for everybody, but I'm happy to discuss any questions as you have them. As we look forward to the next year, next couple of years, inflation is around for the foreseeable future. And I want to be able to help you take advantage of it. And there are many reasons to talk to Mark, not just to hedge inflation, but it is one of those things that's on everybody's mind right now. Mark is a sponsor of the W2 Capitalist. He's also my certified financial planner. I'm also a client of his, so I wouldn't have him on if I didn't believe in what he's doing. And if there's any ever a time where you want to connect with me, let's get on a call and talk. Mark, thank you very much. I, I love the whole thing about battling inflation and what's funny is every time you present you present with proven data points right and it's not just a bunch of fluff appreciate you doing that thank you mark well there you have it guys the end of part one of the w2 capitalist summit i just want to mention again the three unique and exceptional qualities of bank on yourself type policies in the face of inflation fighting against inflation's weapons of math destruction we have to fight with compounding growth, growth that cannot go down in value. Secondly, we need to work off the insidious effects of leverage against us by using leverage to our advantage. So having access to capital, if the Fed is going to be combating inflation, we need to be ready to stand at the ready uh, to use capital cash whenever we need to pick up deals. And then third, optionality being able to use the life insurance contract, not as an either or, as in either put your money into life insurance or put it into the stock market, but to use the life insurance as your option for when deals come online. So compound growth, leverage, and optionality. And guys, the good news is, as I mentioned, the good news is you can take steps right now to prepare yourself for this, what could be a very long inflation fight. Remember, stay around for next week's episode. We're going to get into, could bank on yourself be impacted negatively from all these high interest rates we're experiencing now? But until then, thank you for listening to today's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your inflation, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.